Hello and welcome to Beauty from the Heart. I'm your host, Rose Gallagher, and each week I speak to people from the beauty industry and beyond who I just think are special in their own way. Now, this week I'm joined by someone who has been so good to me since the very beginning of my journey in beauty. I always pay attention to people who are kind and helpful when there isn't necessarily anything in it for them. And this person has been nothing but brilliant to me since I met him on one of my very first internships. So today, joining me to discuss his life in makeup, here's Daniel Sandler. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning, Rose, and hello, everyone listening in. Daniel, where are you joining us from this morning? I'm in my office in my house in Norfolk, and it's a wonderful sunny day and the house is quiet. So you've got my full attention, my love. (laughs) Amazing. Daniel, for someone who hasn't met you before, how did your journey into beauty begin? I think my love for beauty and for makeup started when I was a, a teenager because growing up just off the King's Road near Sloan Square and my father being a successful sort of fashion and celebrity hairdresser, I was immersed in the world of beauty and models And I just think because the trend at the time with new romantics, it was coming out of punk, there were new romantics and pretty people experimenting with amazing hair color and amazing makeup, that I absolutely loved the look of what those elements, hair and makeup can transform someone. And I felt I was a bit of a a boring, ginger, spotty, freckly person that really didn't get much notice. So, um, all the elements combined together for me to start exploring with fabulous hair, fabulous makeup and fabulous fashion. And do you remember those first things that you kind of introduced to your own beauty regime, as it were? I do. And you're going to scream because... Oh, go on. The first thing I remember doing was my mum and dad went out uh, one evening and I remember my mum having one of those Christmas boxes from Estee Lauder that my dad would give her and I went to this big box this coffre and I remember picking out the mascara and putting mascara on for the first time and thinking wow that's amazing um, and then I couldn't wait for my parents to go out the next time after dinner <laughs> or whatever and I'd say oh what's that that's a bit of eyeliner let's try a bit of that or a bit of my sister's Bieber red, matte red lipstick, you know. Um, so I'd creep into my sister's room and see what makeup she had in her makeup box. I was exploring. I, was, I felt a bit dirty. I felt a bit naughty. Um, and certainly my parents would not have approved coming home to find their 13-year-old son with makeup. <laughs> you know, it was an era, again, when there were new products coming to the market, something revolutionary. There'd never been fake tan, but we're now talking kind of, the um, mid-70s and Farrah Fawcett Majors was a, was a huge pin-up of mine. And, of course, she was golden and tan, so I was slapping on the fake tan to try and look as golden as Farrah. Um, and, I, and I loved how it looked. So I was very experimental, but I think that's because I was a product of my era when there were new products and new looks around that just excited me and made me feel like, yeah, I want to give this a go. And you know what I always think of those eras as well? I feel like everything was in a big relationship with one another. So you had these influences coming from fashion, from beauty, from music. And it felt like it was really just part of the culture of that time. You're absolutely right. I mean, all the magazines from Vogue to Elle, other glossies, 
British fashion in particular in the 80s was incredibly artistic, incredibly experimental. Fashion was being taken to different levels with with how colors were mixed together, uh, different fabrics were emerging, you know, lycra was being invented and, and being released in bright colors. So it, it was a wow era of, of dynamism when it came to color and texture. And then when you actually started to work in makeup yourself and say, for example, you used to assist the likes of Linus Easton, who used to do Boy George, you know, this particular time to be working in makeup, what were the kind of projects like that you were working on? Was everything just a big explosion of colour at that time? Not always, because, of course, a lot of work that you have to do as a makeup artist that is the bread and butter stuff. Is, is very natural, very, you know, middle-of-the-road kind of pretty, pretty makeup. Whether you're, you're doing a bridal catalogue or whether you're working for a mail-order catalogue, um, the makeup then, if you're doing a two- and three-week job in South Africa or in L.A. or some fantastic location, that would just be very nice, simple, ordinary hair and makeup. But then when it came to doing your own testing, to meet other photographers and and really channeling creativity or doing high fashion editorial, then you'd be able to push the boundaries and put on some crazy colors of makeup and just go where no one has ever gone before with makeup and hair. It was it was fantastic. Do you remember like the very first project that you had that really made you think, oh my gosh, this is such a huge deal and I'm so excited and I know I've done the right thing? You know, not really. I think because I started when I was 17, 18 and everything I did had that enthusiasm from collecting as much makeup as I could because makeup back in the early 80s was was very limited there were some brands that did create some bright pigment colors like Mary Quant, Bieber, Madeline Mono, Leishner, even theatrical makeup shops like Charles Fox who who are now owned by Cryolan and the shop is still in Covent Garden um, they didn't really have that much when it came to different shades of foundation different shades of eyeshadows or lipsticks but they'd have more than Say if I went into Boots, for example. Yeah. Obviously, we didn't have Mac in those days, and we didn't have Makeup Forever, who really did pioneer a fantastic new range of colours and textures for everybody. Um, but up to that point, we had to be incredibly experimental and find the makeup and the colours that we could, and generally end up mixing things to create the colours and textures that we wanted to apply because we needed to get a certain finish on the model's skin, or even my own face. You know, I'd paint with different colors to try out new things or I'd or I'd grab my mum and I'd say, mum, just sit there for half an hour. And I'd paint my mum's face mixing mediums. Um, I, I remember using just white chalk on my mum because I didn't have a foundation that was pale enough. And then, you know, put color on her eyes and lips to be as creative. I mean, it must have looked a right mess, <laughs> but I loved it. But I don't think going back to your question. I don't think there was ever a time when I thought, wow, I'm really in in the right place because I just thought this is right for me and I just followed my instincts. 
And it's such a good point that actually has come up in a few of the previous episodes recently. Um, I think there's something really powerful about following your gut instinct. And one of the things actually I always love speaking to brand founders about, Daniel, is, you know, you have this wealth of experience in makeup artistry, but at some point something obviously changed and you thought, do you know what? I want to make my own things now. When did you feel like that was something that needed to be part of your plan? I was actually prodded by a a friend of mine who was a PR, Leslie Chivers from Bourgeois Makeup, because I'd been the spokesperson for Bourgeois for about five years at the time. And she said to me, Daniel, you know, all the journalists know you really, really well. Why don't you bring out your own makeup range? And I thought to myself, well, what could I bring out that would would be different and then I I realized that what I'd been mixing up on the back of my hand for shoots was long-lasting cheek colors that were waterproof because until that time cheek colors had been either in a pressed powder form or they'd sort of been in a stain clear liquid form but you couldn't really blend them and they just came in about two or three colors so that really was gave me the idea that if I did bring something to market that would be very different, I would have to bring out liquid cheek colors in an, an array of different shades, different textures from shimmery to bronze to matte. Hence, the idea of the watercolor was born. And I mean, for me, Daniel... There's very few items that I would think of that are as iconic as those blushes. As soon as you hear the word blusher, you straight away think of you. Why do you think that the watercolour blushes in particular just completely won everyone over the way that they did? I mean, obviously, there's the novelty factor when something first comes out and and there's that initial interest. But I I do believe that what my watercolours do is just give people the most wonderful, natural-looking cheeks that actually enhances their skin. And everybody mm. wants lovely-looking skin. And I truly believe that the, the, the formula that I've created enhances skin to look much more luminous, much more beautiful, and not look like you've got makeup sitting on your skin. The watercolour sort of it doesn't absorb into the skin it just becomes at one with someone's complexion and that to me is the most ultimate natural looking beautiful cheek color you can get definitely and I would always think of your makeup as very luminous very fresh very skin focused the skin is always so beautiful and I think that I mean, for me, I've been in makeup and beauty for 10 years now. You've been in the industry longer than I have. There has been such a transition, especially over the last few years, when these trends kind of emerged through social media, as well as the trends that were coming from fashion and the marketplace and all of the rest of it. What has it been like for you as an artist watching social media kind of give people all of these different ideas about makeup? I think it's been absolutely wonderful and I love all the different messages and everybody who goes on social media has a message that has value. Um, But I've I've really just stuck to my guns and one thing I try to do is actually not get too influenced by what others are doing. I see an awful lot of repetitive makeup, um, a certain style over and over again, which I kind of, as a creative person, I, I kind of think, how, how many more times can we see an eyeliner flick? 
But I love <laughs> watching James Malloy do an eyeliner flick. I think it's the way he paints it on. So, and it's one of the most, it's like doing red lips. I mean, I could watch an artist paint red lips all day long because when you see a true artist do something that's incredibly difficult and we all think, God, I wish I could do it just like that. And these guys and girls are making it look so easy. So for me, I try not to look at too many artists because I don't want to be influenced at what they do. And I, I kind of just keep doing my own thing, thinking, okay, I'm not going to copy what others are doing. I'm not going to do eyeliners, and I'm not going to do false eyelashes and big eyebrows because everybody's doing that. Yeah. Daniel, you just stick to the cheeks. That's what you love doing the best. And for me, creating a beautiful complexion, creating skin that looks flawless. And I don't like using too many apps to Photoshop or use as soft lens so it looks all soft and pretty i think i like images to look pretty real because i like people to know that the makeup i do on me which is what most of my instagram posts for my own account are about what people will see i do on my face is what they could do with my products once they got them home they would get a similar effect because i think i i like beauty to be honest quite honestly definitely i like makeup to be honest i like people to know that if they get something they're going to get the result that I get with it. They won't get a result that um, has been photoshopped and, and then they get the wrong idea of how this product will actually work for them once it's in their hands. I completely agree. And you always have at the helm of what you're doing that the person feels really good in themselves. And one of the things I really wanted to ask you about, because it's a conversation that I feel I'm having more and more recently. I'm 31 And more recently, I've had people ask me, please, can you do a makeup for a mature skin? Please, can you do something for an older person? And I always personally go back and I say, I feel like any tutorial is applicable to any age. And I don't want to pigeonhole, oh, this is specifically for you if you are a certain age, because I never want there to be an exclusion that all the other ones don't apply to you, but you can watch this one that I've put a particular age bracket on. And I feel like you have always been a champion of everyone looking great at whatever age they're at. Um, How do you think that that has always been such a big part of what you've done? I think that it comes from experience. You know, I'm 55 and I've been working now as a makeup artist for, for over 30 years. So I've seen an awful lot of faces from different backgrounds, different ages, and I've easily made up hundreds of women who are over 50. And if I tell you that you really cannot pigeonhole women of 50, of 60, of 70, obviously genetics, you know, our skin is pre-designed to age a certain way, but there are certain factors. And one 50-year-old who is out in the sun all day, who smokes and drinks, or there's someone who lives in the city and is a, and is a vegetarian and, and does yoga and is incredibly healthy. They will have completely different skin type, skin texture, skin tone, yet they're the same age. So I don't believe that you can really pigeonhole um, any, any person, a woman, man, um, and distinguish between the ages of 50s, 60s, and 70s. You just can't do it because there are so many factors. You don't know what stress or ill health that person might have had during their lifetime that has affected how their skin is when they're 50 year old. Does that make sense? It completely makes sense. And one of the things that I find fascinating is you feel that way. I feel that way. 
And yet I feel like there are actually specific rules I hear time and time again. Can you advise on something for me because I'm 50 plus and I know I shouldn't be wearing shimmer? And I'm thinking, well, I don't believe that. So where did these rules come from? Blame is a very strong word, but I'm going to use the word blame because it's easy for everyone to understand. But let's not take it literally. I think we should blame historically the makeup brands because makeup brands have generally over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, makeup brands have generally had young pretty girls as the model for their campaign. Now, that's fine when you're that age, but as that that long-com customer, the Estee Lauder customer, um, has gotten older, well, actually, Estee Lauder actually generally does historically engage with the older market. So let's stick with Longcom because that's kind of a, was always a younger market. Um, Longcom would have a beautiful young girl as their model. Um, but what happens when that customer who's been loyal to Longcom for all those years, she gets older. She feels that the products and the, the way the makeup style um, isn't relevant to her anymore. So I think a lot of customers who, who've gotten older feel like, well, I was loyal to, you know, Lauder or Deal for all those years or Longcom or whoever, even Boots. But what is there for me now? So I think it's been marketing that has really damaged their own market, really. They've not been speaking to the older market. So I think when a brand speaks not just to one age group, but encompasses all age groups, all skin tones, all ethnicities, then I think that's the right way of engaging with a customer, with a person. And I do believe that this is why it's so good that social media actually helps brands engage with people. And I really like that there are people out there like yourself, Rose, and other really fantastic bloggers who question what brands do, who question the message, who question the ingredients who question the authenticity of that message, the relevance of that message. Yeah. Gone are the days when we just watch the telly and we see an advert saying, you've got to buy this Nivea cream because it's got this fantastic chemical ingredient. It's the best thing for you. You've got to get this moisturizer. Gone are those days when we're just brainwashed into thinking, oh, I've got to get that because it's got a scientific name. Yeah. We're realizing how much BS has been going on for all these years (laughs) and that marketing has made us buy into something that's feeding that we need to constantly chase this dream that the next best thing is what will really make us happy. Definitely. And I believe that the tide is turning very quickly and brands have realised now that we're not stupid. Consumers are not idiots. We won't stand for that anymore. And it's so true. Like there is a boy called Hiram in America and he takes a lot of marketing messages and he will explain like for example I've seen him mention brands before that will have a huge marketing campaign about what their product does but then he might explain that the percentage of an ingredient that is their purpose for saying that it's able to do these magical things might be so small that it's not doing anything Mm. and I suppose the the message is it is really important that we are asking questions now and I also think it's really important that everybody that has social media has a voice and can share feedback and that feedback can be taken on board to kind of help to make these things a bit better. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. And what I love as well is that that there are so many bloggers of different ages who are true experts 
in their field. There's one area of social media which I think does fall a bit short is when certain people do call themselves experts and they've only been in the industry a couple of minutes and they really don't understand ingredients like a cosmetic scientist would who's trained and got a degree in that. But when I see people like Caroline Hirons being able to dissect what ingredients are and and share with people, she's not a cosmetic scientist, but she's incredibly well um, educated on the subject like yourself. You now know what, what ingredients mean and what they actually do, and you know how they work on your skin. Uh, same for Alice Hart Davis, who completely explains now what you can do with um, certain injectables that are good, what the realistic effects of those treatments are. So, you know, I think we've got to look at experts who have properly been awarded, who have the proper accreditation, but you also need to find... The, um, the, the proper high-end educators like Caroline, like Alice, like yourself, who really know you are such a champion for those suffering with rosacea, high colour. You know what you're talking about because it's all about you, Rose. You're sharing what works for you and the transformation that makeup and skincare, doing the right thing, doing the wrong thing. I think it's absolutely wonderful. And I think that what you guys do is so incredibly valuable at this time when so many people are just feeling so down with themselves. Say for me with the rosacea, I'm actually exactly the same as you in that I would talk to somebody about my experience until the cows come home, but I would always still turn around and say, do you know what, this is a medical thing, this is a bit of my experience, but I would always advise you to see a doctor and kind of get your own handle on it. Mm. I'm always someone that tries to say, I want you to ask an expert or speak to an expert. And one of the reasons I really wanted to chat to you today was in particular with this question that's coming up so much about which makeup should I be wearing for this age and if someone is listening and they haven't been feeling their best and they want to make a few simple changes to their makeup that are what they feel are age appropriate to them and they want to feel great again having done makeup for as many years as you have on as many different people what advice would you give to someone that just needs a bit of confidence in their makeup now that perhaps they are looking to rejig things that they've used for years and years I think the the simplest thing is to either add a little bit more or take away a little bit more. For example, if somebody wears barely nothing, very natural makeup, just punch your colors a little bit more. So stay within that spectrum of pinks or peaches that you're comfortable with, but just add a little bit more of a pop of color within that spectrum. So if you like wearing a soft peach, why don't you try wearing something which has a hint more of a peach onto the cheek? Or if you like wearing a soft pink lip with a a nude brown lip line, why not make those colors a little bit deeper? Seeing if pushing that color, that texture, that little bit more, you'll still be within your your comfort zone, but you'll actually be reinventing yourself by just popping those colors a little bit. Similarly, if you're someone who's always worn black eyeliner on your eyes and loads of mascara and you're feeling like is this still the right thing to do why not take it down a notch why not slightly soften that black line to be a dark gray or a really bitter chocolate brown instead of wearing so much black mascara why not wear slightly less still curl your lashes but why not wear slightly less mascara and maybe go for a brown black instead or even a navy blue and in that way you should 
feel like I've done something, but you'll still feel comfortable and not like you're looking in the mirror thinking, hey, that really isn't me. Do you know what, Daniel? You've just made me want to do my own makeup like that today. (laughs) Really? Wow. Honestly, because I think when we think of a reinvention, we think, okay, complete overhaul. I'm starting from scratch again. But actually, I would say 99% of us have more than everything that we need at our fingertips. And a little change to approach can be the thing to make them feel new again, rather than needing all new. I think you're absolutely right. I think for some reason, women especially feel a lot more confident completely changing hair yeah and their nails completely you know wearing completely funky colors on their nails and having tips and gel you know whatever but they never feel in my opinion brave enough to go all out with the makeup so that's why I always say don't go so far it's the same with someone who gets married why completely change how you look because you're getting married Just look the most beautiful version of yourself on your wedding day. Don't suddenly go all lashes and bronzer if that's really not you. So to me, I think change your makeup. Change it slightly. If you wear a matte lipstick, why not wear something that's a little bit more comfortable and something with a little bit of a gloss? Or wear a sheerer formula in that same color, but not so matte. And as you say, absolutely, Rose, you've probably got them in your makeup bag already. One of the reasons why I really wanted to have you for a chat today is... I always get so much out of any time I spend with you. I just think you have such a lovely energy. You're so good at making people feel comfortable and you've always made me feel comfortable from very day one. Oh, bless you. When you look at our industry as a whole, who do you think is doing great things in beauty or doing something really positive? There's a lot of fantastic positive messages out there, but one person in particular who consistently enhances beauty and positivity is my dear makeup pal Lee Pycroft who is probably been doing makeup nearly as long as me for the last two three years she's really been championing positivity and positive mental health awareness and one thing that she put on one of her Instagram posts recently is something I remember and it says you can put on makeup to brighten your face But if you don't deal with the stuff going on in your heart and mind, you won't feel pretty. Um, That captures it all. I mean, Lee, as a makeup artist, knows the power of makeup and knows how it gives you that immediate feel-good factor. And we all know how makeup can empower you. Even though you're feeling dreadful, a little bit of lipstick and a little bit of makeup will show the world that you're looking strong and confident. But what Lee is getting at is okay, it's great to have makeup and we all need makeup, but let's not forget that there's something deeper that might need challenging, that might need facing, uh, might need, you know, that hug. So find out deep within you what the root of your unhappiness is and then you will feel pretty and then you will feel happy. And I think she's a fantastic champion for positivity. She really is. And I really resonate with so much of what you've just said. I've actually never met Lee, but I know of her on social media and things. And my God, like the name Lee Pycroft, you'd hear it over and over. She's so highly regarded. And um, over the summer, we did a Facebook Live in, she has a brilliant Facebook group called I'm Back. And it's basically a 
community that they've made on Facebook where people can join if perhaps they're not feeling the way they used to a really happy time in their lives and they want to make these small steps to feel great again and have this moment of you know I'm back and we were going to do this Facebook live anyway and we were having a chat on the phone and I said to her we'd been on the phone for a while and I was like if I could go back and tell 2010 me that I'd be sat on the phone having a chat with Lee Pycroft my head would have fallen off (laughs) I was just so delighted to speak to her but she really captures I think what we all believe that makeup can be this really powerful tool but it's part of a bigger equation. Yes, no, totally. If we have that extra moment to give ourselves a bit more self-care and for lots of people that might be skincare or makeup, that moment of I deserve this act of kindness and I deserve this care can catapult, you know, am I looking after myself in every other way and is there anything else I can also do to make myself feel great? Totally absolutely right in terms of the rest of the industry what do you think you want to see more of from beauty i think i want to see even more honesty i I really feel that brands should be out there really listening to what customers want and not inventing names um and and having marketing people really tell us what they feel we should be buying I think the honesty, I think the price point of products should come down quite a bit as well. I I don't think people should be buying products that are expensive, feel they're going to be better for them. Yeah. That's really it in a nutshell. I I think the communication between brands and customers is more important than ever, really. And I think that we can really streamline what we buy to what really suits us. Yes, certain skin types need certain products and certain formulas, so that their skin works better. But I don't think that we should categorize people in their ages. It should Brands should really be helping customers to identify what their skin type is. That's more relevant. Definitely. We've all been on a bit of a roller coaster this year, to say the very least. What are some of your personal favorite steps to take to just have the best possible day or feel set up for the day? I think it's not always what we do for ourselves that makes us feel good. I think that helping someone else sometimes in turn makes us feel good that then will make us feel less guilty that we are then doing something for ourselves. So what I do is I try to do things for my neighbors. I I say, look, I'm popping to the shops. Do you need, need me to pick up a loaf of bread or a pint of milk or something? I mean, people call it random acts of kindness. I'm not saying yeah. that I'm Mother Teresa, but I actually do like talking to my neighbours because in that way, I'm not just getting something for my neighbour, but I'm also engaging with someone because, you know, we've got to stay in our little bubbles at the minute. Yeah. But in that way, I'm kind of carrying on communicating with people as best as I can. And it's nice to have a little chat with a, a friend or a neighbour. Um, but if I want to do something for myself, it will be, you know, making myself a, ni- a really nice cup of tea and sitting down quietly and reading a book or putting the fire on, having the dog next to me. So it's creating time for me. It can be me being in the bath, lighting candles, putting something. I know it's really girly, girly, but I can <laughs> lie in the bath with some bubble bath. You know, and I'll sit with some sort of salicylic acid face pack on, uh, rinse it off, and then put on some of that fantastic CeraVe moisturizer you told me about. Oh yeah, that is that is the absolute act of self care, isn't it? 
it really is. So, you know, there's things that, that I do. And, of course, there's all things that we put off, you know, um, like cleaning the bathroom or cleaning the oven. But when I can get myself off the sofa and do that, I feel fantastic that I actually achieved something. And sometimes it's pixie steps to be able to to dust yourself off and do things. Just don't take on any big challenges. Just do a little thing every day. Honestly, that is enough. And before you know it, you're actually taking on bigger challenges um, and you've really turned a corner. And the small steps all add up, don't they? They do. Absolutely. Every, everything has value. It's just about that making that initial effort that you can do. And just, just even thinking about what you can do is an effort. Exactly. Even making a list of things that you could be doing, that is positive. And then the next stage is actually ticking off one of those things at a time. Do it in your own time. There's no right or wrong. Definitely. And do you know what, Daniel, that kind of gentle approach is so refreshing in a time when I think we're seeing so much kind of hyper productivity. And did you learn a new skill in lockdown? Did you write a book? Did you learn a new language? And like, no, actually, I just tried to put one foot in front of the other every day. And that was about enough for me. And <laughs> that's okay, too, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it's, but you're such a busy bee, Rose. Do you know what, though, to be honest, Daniel, like I was thinking this the other day, I was thinking I'd hate for someone to see productivity from me as this thing that's good, because to be honest, I'm the most productive whenever I'm worried about something. And if I'm worried or a bit stressed, I do loads to keep myself busy. There's so much of my old routine that I'm grieving for, in particular, just friends that I used to have on my doorstep that I don't know. And being busy is the coping mechanism and I think one thing that we can all do is have a bit more of an open conversation around you know don't perceive it as necessarily I'm doing all of this stuff because uh, of you know achieving a lot of things or whatever like in a day I'll tick off a load of things off a checklist but that just keeps my head clear and we all have those things don't we no you're absolutely right and you know I check Instagram, not every day, but every couple of days I'll go on Instagram and I'll see people incredibly productive. And I almost think that, that with social media, it looks like a lot of people are doing a lot of stuff. And you're right, it, it's a way of supporting yourself by keeping busy. Um, but yeah. of course, you don't want to be addicted to that. No, I know. Because then there's the guilt, guilt at the end of it of when you've been quiet for a few days and you haven't posted anything. I know I go through times when I think, gosh, I haven't posted anything for a couple of days. I better do something. And you feel obliged and, you know, you feel obligated because you feel like people will be expecting that from you. And I think, well, you know what? I need just a little time to myself at the minute. Yeah. Because I think if, if, if you keep going, if you treat yourself like a machine, you'll hit a brick wall. And I think yeah. especially when, when you're a creative person, you need to kind of relax. You need to take stock of what you've done and you need to think, nothing sometimes you just need to have clear space um and then come back and and your batteries will feel revived and you'll feel fresh so i don't think you you should beat yourself up that you're not doing something and i don't think you should beat yourself up that you're doing a lot i think you just need to find a a happy medium that makes you truly truly happy and don't feel pressurized when you see other people are doing things because that's right for them it's not necessarily right for you 
Daniel, wait till my sister hears this. She's going to want to send you a hamper. (laughs) You've had the same chat with me that she's been having for a while, but it's so true. I think that we all just need to remember that we all have our own journey and, you know, what's right for us is the best thing, no matter what anyone else is doing. For sure. No, I think you're absolutely right. And it's easy for us to um, compare ourselves to others all the time. I, I think it's just human nature. Yeah, it really is. But let's not forget that we have to listen to our hearts, listen to our souls to truly make us. We're all individuals and we all need certain things for ourselves. So just listen to your inner self. And I truly believe that's where you're going to be happiest. Daniel, that is such a lovely note to leave it on. And I'm so, so grateful you were able to chat to me today. But for anyone that wants to reach out, that enjoyed the episode, that wants to say hello, could you just tell us where we can find you? Absolutely. On Instagram, you can follow me and find me at at Daniel Sandler Personal. Um, And if you want to follow my brand, which always has gorgeous pictures of my beautiful watercolours, and information. It's at Daniel Sandler Makeup, all one word. So come and say hi. Daniel, thank you so, so much for coming on. My pleasure, Rose. It's just lovely being with you always. Thank you so much for listening and a big thank you to my producer Ella for putting that together for me. I hope you enjoyed. You can reach out at Rose Gallagher on Instagram. I'd love to hear your thoughts and I'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care.